0: This is an episode for leaders. There are thousands of books and research articles on leadership, and thousands of people out there will tell you their take on leadership or what worked for them once upon a time. People are hungry for this type of information, and for good reason. Leading people is hard. It's especially hard when many of the people you're trying to lead don't like you. But you have to lead anyway. In this episode, we talk about what you can do. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State
1: University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Yeah, so this episode's leadership when half your people hate you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: right, and it doesn't have to be an exact 50%. Perhaps it's uh, you know a lion's share, or it could even be even more than 50%. But we're going to talk about this tricky situation and those situations in which leading other people is challenging. We're going to talk about the central nature of trust. In leadership. And of course, we'll talk about some implications for people, leaders and organizations. So let's dive in to this first part and discuss a little bit about situations in which leading other people is challenging. Now, all of them, right? <laughs> leading people is hard. So we'll, we'll put that out there first.
1: Yeah. So like if you're really rich and your dad put you in charge of a division or something <laughs> and, and people are like, I don't want this drooling moron, you know, he's just here because dad gave him all the cash. Well, all right, well, you've got us. let's say you're an enterprising young, rich trust funder and actually do want to work rather than living in a ski town the rest of your life. Okay. well, you got your work cut out for you or um, you're a new lieutenant in the army and you're putting everybody's like, gosh, look, this guy can't even button his pants after he gets out the bathroom you know he's straight out of college it, he doesn't know anything the crusty old sergeant's over there like oh my god another we got to raise another one of these babies or right another i'm just going through the scenarios that i've seen out in life or you're in a turnaround situation and you've got a, a group of people that have kind of organizational laziness they love things how they are they don't want change the organization has been bought or is about to go bankrupt and you're stuck over with the people that won't change for nothing. Yeah. You know? And then it's like, it's like that, a, a version of the Reagan thing. I I'm from the administration and I'm here to help. <laughs> there is <laughs> Get out of here. Hey, go make the coffee and then go home. How about that? You know? So yeah. Leading people is always
0: challenging, but there certainly are some situations in which it is more difficult than others. So this episode is about leaders and leadership, and that really includes all leaders, uh, not just those in corporations or top-level positions. It's really any situation in which you're trying to influence a group of people. And you know, I I, as I like to say, in I teach a class on leadership for MBA students at Cleveland State University, and um, as I oftentimes say at the beginning of that semester, I, I say, you know, this is a class for anybody because regardless of your career path, regardless of your current situation. You will always find yourself at various points in your life where you are trying to work with other people, t- trying to influence them, trying to maybe move a group in a certain direction. So I think the things we'll talk about here in this uh, episode really have broad applicability, but there are those situations in which you have those toxic environments that uh, and, and maybe you get hired into that situation and you're put there. You're, you're the one in charge. You have the, both the formal authority as well as the, uh, kind of the mandate to
1: try to lead this group. And that can be really hard. Yeah. I And just so for the record, I don't really like a lot of sports movies, but if ever I was in school and had to watch a sports movie, there's always like, look at this Motley crew. And then the coach has to come in and do something with them. And then it's nice. And they win in the end and become a team. Well, you know, we do all this stuff out (laughs) in the corporate world. I know. Right. Um, so, The first thing that generally happens in any of these environments, the messed up military unit, the organization, the foot, the wayward football team is that there's a toxic environment, right? Mm -hmm. Often with a bad history from prior leaders, somebody came in and made a mess of things there. Yeah. Or they didn't help.
0: Uh, They tried some things. It built up some of that cynicism that people have when people try things and it doesn't work. Or they, they try to lead the group and they just go about it in a, um, a misguided way. That can really be disheartening to the rest of the organization where it's like, eh, you know, nothing's gonna change here. Um, no new person, new day, whatever. So you can have this bad history with prior leaders. Maybe you have a reputation coming into the organization, and this could be earned or unearned, fair or unfair. Maybe you're, you know, one of the first outsiders maybe to be, get hired in as, as that VP or that director. Or maybe people just maybe heard something about you that could be true or untrue. So you're going to have to overcome that. These are all very challenging situations. Uh, another time in which it, it can be very
1: tricky to lead is when there's a lot of change and uncertainty. That's right. So if you're tasked with moving an organization into a different product, maybe exploring a new industry, you know, those kinds of things, that's really worrisome, especially for people that have settled into their job. You know, so if they're like, oh, man, I just, you know, I have three kids and an infant for number four. I don't need all this stress of change. And right now I I actually took this role so I could phone it in for at least (laughs) until I'm getting sleep. Right. So, and and here comes new leader and maybe, and you'll hear this in bigger organizations, especially like the military, everybody will text everybody. How was that captain at Mm. at your unit? Because it's everybody kind of knows everybody. So when Mattis had a reputation, those kinds of people like everybody, because tons of people had worked with tons of people. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if you've got to come and lead change and they're like, oh, my gosh, this guy's a real axe grinder, you know, so the first tip and we'll do lots of tips later on is be careful how you win and how you lead at every step of your management career, because right. it's going to follow you. And if you do it the right way, it's going to make future assignments less. We're not going to say easy, but yeah. less challenging. Than they would be if you're just a scorched earth drive results kind of person. Right, because
0: if you come into that environment, even if it's toxic, if, there are, if, if all the information about you that people are trying to glean from various sources is positive and they think, wow, this person actually has high integrity, high competence, good communication skills, really gets it. All that kind of information can be very helpful for you. So I, I like your point there. You're building your reputation at every point in your career. So make it a good one. You know, another time in which it can be very challenging to lead other people is when you have to make changes that no one will like. This happens sometimes. Maybe it's just something for the good of the organization. You have to make unpopular decisions. And, you know, that sometimes is your job as a formal leader of an organization or of a group.
1: Yeah. So, you know, if you're in a, Everything was cruising. You guys were printing cash. And now you've got new competitors in your industry and you've got to tighten up discipline. The Keurig's got to go and the Folgers has got to come in as a cost-cutting measure. You know, those kinds of things. People are going to hate it because it was like, you know, I (laughs) only work four hours out of any given day. And especially at the large orgs, I can't tell you how many people like, oh, yeah. So I probably just blow off two hours of every day just baloney by the water cooler walks around the building and maybe my lunch is an hour and 20 minutes, you know, so, <laughs> you know, all the and now discipline has to come in and you have to drive real productivity and value. Um, people aren't going to like it when you got to make those kinds of changes, uh, right. even when they're for the good of the organization. Another common one I see, Ben, is in production factory environments where they just, you know, they would run over time. Right. Mm. Well, we don't want to hire a bunch of people. We're not sure if this business is going to be here to stay. Well, enough time goes by on overtime where everybody's relying on that overtime. Now, they'll they'll whine about it. But then the minute you say, hey, no problem, we're hiring new workers. So you guys don't have to do overtime again. We want you to spend more time. You're like, what do you mean? I just took out a new mortgage on the house Mm. based on my overtime cash. And then you're you're tasked with tightening that up. And some people are scared of getting evicted out of their homes because they're relying on that overtime check. Well, you're not going to be the most welcome uh, management professional like it if you've got to drive those changes. Right.
0: And, you know, I think every leader needs to get used to the idea that not everyone's going to like you. Not everyone's going to like your decisions. That's just comes with the territory. It can be lonely in a leadership position. And I'm talking, of course, about those formal leadership positions in which you do have some formal authority, maybe a title, you're formally in charge of a group. Uh, And, you know, I think if we look at all of these different situations in which leading people can be really, really challenging, one thing that's in common is low trust. So, you know, we're talking here in this episode about leadership when half your people hate you. Uh, and, you know, that's a situation in when there's low trust. So we're going to talk a lot about trust in this episode. So maybe we'll pivot and move into that a little bit and talk a little bit about the central nature of trust and leadership. Yeah, just keep going, Ben. This is good. Trust. Just keep what, going. What is trust? Keep going. What is yeah. Trust? So, <laughs> trust is something that we have studied in the organizational sciences and psychology for a long, long time. And there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of good research on this. And, you know, I think it is important for us to put some definition around our terms, even I think, especially when it's something that's super common, like trust. Like, I know what trust is. Eh." No, let's let's actually unpack this a little bit more. So there's a good article in the Leadership Quarterly uh, that we'll put a link to in the show notes that we'll be drawing upon here. And what they did is they reviewed a whole bunch of research that had been done over the decades on trust and leadership. And they came up with some different um, research-backed ideas, as well as some good definitions. So there are many different definitions of trust out there. And if we uh, look at some of them that they they came across, one of them um, that that I think is pretty good is, uh, trust is the willingness of a party to be vulnerable to the actions of another party based on the expectation that the other party will perform a particular action important to the trustor irrespective of the ability to monitor or control the other party. So it's, it's about relinquishing some control and allowing someone to make decisions on your behalf. It's about you know, that vulnerability piece, right? There's that, that's really central to this idea of
1: trust. Yeah. So the key thing is, and, and we do this with our coaching with new leaders, all the way up to C-suite executives, is people are not your friends, Right. <laughs> And and if you want to have a real friendship, it's generally after you're both at different organizations and maybe you connect it at a professional society or something like that, right? No,
0: that, I completely disagree. If you want a real friend, you
1: get a dog. <laughs> that, hey, <laughs> nobody loves you more than a dog, but the reciprocity <laughs> is you walk them and feed them every day, right? Well, That's the true. dogs will love you anyway. But the, the <laughs> thing is, is the term I like to use is that there's a collaborative alliance between people. And in the in the literature, we call this leader member exchange, right? Followers get something out of their leader. Leaders get something out of their followers. There's generally a mission for an organization. There's a reason why you guys are together for a paycheck, for a mission, for some values, goals, those kinds of things. Yeah. But out of the literature here on trust, some of the themes are one of them is reciprocity, right? Mm-hmm. So i don't get to have trust in you if you don't ever tell me what I should do, and I just get a random annual performance review from somebody that doesn't know me yeah right right and and when people
0: deliver on their commitments and and do things for us, you know we feel that that felt obligation to do something in return, we also uh, tend to see them as a more reliable person, and that starts to build this this idea of trust, you know one thing that I remember from very early on in in my military training, you know, this is going way back, uh, talking about leading in the military and so forth, but it's this idea that trust is earned. And I think that that's just a helpful concept for all of us. You know, it, it's another way I've heard it, and this is kind of applies to reputation as well, but trust and maybe reputation are kind of like, uh, you know, a wine glass, you know, you, you fill it up gradually, one little, uh, you know, mishap and it can all dump out, right? So- it's built slowly, it's earned, and you need to guard that very carefully um, by being a reliable partner in that collaborative alliance that you talked about. Building those high-quality relationships, this idea of leader-member exchange, it's built on respect uh, so that people can actually believe the things you're telling
1: them. Right. And it, and then there's also an element of individual risk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that comes from the leader or the follower, right? Sure. Um, and that that level of... You know, maybe you let somebody know something about you, or it's like, "Hey team, I need help on this one. I'm good at every other part of this job, but I don't want to take this team into the dumps. Where are we gonna go? Like revealing some of that vulnerability and that humanity, which should be done in fits and starts, right? Don't just like lay out all your garbage day one. <laughs> um, but it, each side takes takes some risks. Uh, maybe some of that risk is, hey, I need a couple days extra off because there was a death in my family and I know this is a clutch project or, you know, there's something where there's disclosure, there's risks in that relationship, there's risks as you go forward and it builds like a level of team intimacy that if you don't screw it up, if you don't violate that trust there, right? See the trust mm-hmm. word again, um, individual risk can help build that. Um, and which brings us to the next one, which is willingness to take those risks. Right. So if you keep your your deck of cards close, right, some people will never trust anybody no matter what. And I think they live sad and lonely lives because of it.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you're thinking, of you know, talking about willingness to take risks. One of the risks that you can take as a leader is to delegate things, right? Um, because especially in the beginning. If you don't necessarily know and have a lot of information about the competence of the people around you, then you're you're taking a little bit of a leap of faith when you assign them a task, when you give them an area of responsibility, but you have to do that. And I would encourage you to you know maybe do that in smaller ways as you're building trust and you're learning more about the people around you, but you do that. And then, you know, once competence starts to get demonstrated, that starts to, you know, Kind of generate the, the uh, confidence that you have in that person uh, to do things, um, but you have to take those steps. If you never take those steps, if you never ha- express any willingness to take risks with other people, then you're going to end up doing all the work yourself. People are going to see you as a, a micromanager and a, a you know, someone who really loves control, and it's just it's going to overwhelm you and it's not going to bode well for the rest of the team.
1: Yeah, so another piece here. And those are excellent there. But um, another piece is the emotional piece. Some people, and we've met them. You ever met somebody that has a real calming effect? They can come in a room. Everybody can be all crazy. And <laughs> something about them that, you know, they should have gone and been a yoga instructor in the forest. You know, like, you know, Ben or <laughs> Gary over there, whenever he walks around, it just feels like a massage just talking to him. So, <laughs> some people have this with trust. You know, like I don't know why I trust this person, but mm-hmm. I totally trust them. And you know, if you have that skill innately, definitely use that. But mm-hmm. also be wary of just an emotional sense of trust because there's psychopaths, you know, narcissists Take advantage of that. And right. all those kinds of people that know how to engender those trust things and Use it to ill will. So still look at the reciprocity, look at the risk taking, but um, an emotional capacity—you know aspect of this is part of the conversation.
0: Sure. You know, another piece here is at the group or the team level, having a culture or a climate that is trusting where people allow some risk taking, they allow some vulnerability so that people can. Uh, express you know their their willingness to take some risks that they try things uh, and and that can certainly be an important factor you know one other piece that's mentioned in the paper that I mentioned earlier is the three different facets of trust and they were in this article they were citing some other research but they talk about number one that trust has this this element of um, an expectation or belief that the other party will act benevolent benevolently right so I have to believe, Chris, that you have my best interest in mind.
1: But well, but that's if, good trust, right? Because we are exactly. like, hey, let's yeah. trust this. This guy's going to make the bad, hurtful decision every time, and I still have <laughs> to keep the job and hate his guts, right? Yeah.
0: No, but I'm talking about this this first facet, right? This first yeah, yeah, facet yeah, yeah, of yeah. trust is that good I, trust, right? Is that I'm going to uh, believe that you're going to act benevolently, and if I if I truly believe that, then you know, if you make a decision that maybe I don't think is the, is a, uh, it's maybe not a popular one, but it is in the best interest of the organization, I'm going to be a little bit more okay with that. The second facet is this willingness to be vulnerable and risk the other party may not fulfill the, the expectations. So it's taking that little leap of faith. And then the third is trust involves some level of dependency on the other party so that the outcomes of one individual are influenced by the actions of another. So, you know, there, there's a lot of many dy- dynamics going on here in terms of uh, power in terms of uh, vulnerability and risk taking but all of these are very important in this kind of um, overall uh trust and and the relationship that develops between followers and leaders
1: yeah so uh, it, new executives manu- managers directors you know senior managers uh, uh, one problem they have is micromanaging everything right and what they don't know is that if, if yet now, if you have dumb executives above you, you know, you might need to micromanage because they'll look at anything that's not delivered as a false piece. Right. But even if you have that above you, a common conversation is, hey, new team, I'm going to see how they perform. Mm-hmm. And oh, hey, you, you were two days late with that deadline. Yeah, I've got some changes I need to make on the team. And then people view you as a savvy leader, not as somebody that doesn't do everything. Because if, if for you to be effective and to manage more and more people, you cannot micromanage everybody. Right. So you are going to have to trust those people, see where they are, and then come up with an improvement plan. Okay, our capacity is X. We want to get to Y in the next year. We're going to do these kinds of training. We're going to bring on additional staff, those kinds of things. But have some trust there in your team initially. If you give that trust, they're more likely to give it to you. Same thing. If you're a follower, right? New leader. Well, if you just set them up for failure, you're going to just have a hostile relationship with the person you report to. So, you you know, that's all that risk stuff, right? Sure.
0: So if we look at this idea of trust within the big context of leadership, there are a number of different things we need to think about. And these are, I'm again, you know, pulling from the article in the Leadership Quarterly that I um, will put a link to in the show notes. But first of all, there are some characteristics about the trustee, right? Um, so the person who we maybe are, are trusting, right? So, you know, in terms of their ability, their benevolence, right? Their ability to uh, um, communicate or engender this idea that they have other people's best interests in mind, their integrity, those are very important. So, you know, in terms of um, things that make you more trustworthy, ability, benevolence, integrity, very important um, pieces here. So it's not just about, you know, talking a good game. It's also about actually having the chops to do things right and have that ability Uh, and and admit stuff that you maybe don't know, you know, get your skills up where you
1: need them to be. Right. To get in that leadership seat, right? Some of the stuff under ability, because a lot of people's like, well, I was chosen because I'm a good guy and people like me. And now I'm going to be out there. I mean, you and I work with CEOs, VPs that are in a position and they're lacking some in the hard ability uh, aspects. Now, the good thing about ability is you can increase your ability, but you're going to have to do a lot of study after work hours. You know, one of those, some of the things that are listed here is setting a compelling direction. Mm -hmm. Now if you set a direction and everybody who's been there for a bunch of years knows that, man, that's a dumb way to go. Well, you've flushed yeah. trust, right?
0: Right. Um, yeah, I, you, I would recommend working with, with other people to start to create that, right? Co-create. Yeah, but sometimes direction.
1: you got to come in and your organization's a disaster and you're just going to need to set it by fiat, which means you have you to might, be yeah. pro. You have to be ready for the big leagues at that moment. Yep. Another thing is creation of enabling structure. And this, I see Mm. this missing in uh, leaders and organizations all the time. They don't understand structures of organizations. They generally need to work with a consultant, which is fine. But you need to have a platform. And this goes into the work that comes out of perceived organizational support. Do I have the tools to do my job, Mm. right? And and so you need to know, like, well, what kind of IT tools, what kind of, you know, platforms do they need to be able to work? And that that means you got to have task knowledge you got to understand the situation that your organization is in, right? And and a big piece of this is setting expectations with your staff, right? That's the whole if you're going to do an annual performance review, if you haven't set expectations, well you're going to get you're going to get a big pile of whatever, right? right? You know, if you have clear expectations of what you want out of your staff, out of your individuals, Hey, I expect everybody to be five minutes early to every meeting. Okay, well, then now people can know that norm. But if you'd never say anything and it's hacking you off because people are coming in two minutes late, three minutes late, and then you wait till the annual performance review, well, this is a lack of ability to set functional norms as a leader. And these all come under key leadership abilities that build trust. Right. Right.
0: And the other piece here is benevolence, as I mentioned, right? So this is creating that supportive context, um, you know, showing some consideration for people, getting to know the people around you and the people who, whom you're trying to lead. It, when appropriate, using some more consultative type of, pr- of approaches for leadership um, to move together, right? Because you're recognizing that, hey, maybe some of these people on this team have some good ideas, and we should work together on it. And also, when appropriate, doing some coaching behaviors. Another really important piece here is integrity, and the way that we oftentimes think about integrity, at least from a um, you know an organizational psychology perspective, is the match between or the alignment between what someone says or what they value and what they actually do. We call that behavioral integrity. Um, you know, are, is there congruence between your values and what you do? Um, are you operating in a fair way with everyone? Um, and are you holding yourself and other people accountable for uh, getting things done? All of that is, is an important piece here. So those, those are characteristics of the leader that can help with this trust in leadership. So keep those different things in mind. And we'll delve into that a little bit more later.
1: But uh, good stuff. You know, some people think that this doesn't apply to the agile stuff. Right. You know, this is just top down, typical hierarchy. But something we were talking about before the show, you know, this idea of self organization new orgs are, hey, we're going to get in, the people are going to do stuff. But, you know, we were talking about in order for self organization to work well, it's dependent on the quality of the people who are self organizing. You have
0: to have some emergent leadership in those situations. And if people aren't doing that or don't have some of these characteristics, you're gonna have a problem with self-organization. It's not going to go so well.
1: Right. And so you got two software uh, developers in their you know mom's garage writing code. They're the next Google, right? And so they're self-organizing around what? The functional places that they have ability, writing code, maybe product market fit. But you know one of the first pieces of expertise that they hire out is tax and payroll. <laughs> <laughs> they don't self-organize how to meet the tax code, right? They they just don't, they need actual experts. And if you're coming into an organization that's more waterfall, maybe more moribund, they're not used to some of these self-organizing principles which are helpful, these abilities of task knowledge, situation knowledge are super important. You're able, the scrum master's role, you know, yes, you can't have a fresh off the, you know, scrum master cert, scrum master come in and do a decent job of facilitating conversations But then that leadership role is played by the emergent pieces on that team, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're going in, a scrum master is super savvy, also a technologist, also understands business strategy, is going to be able to run several scrum teams better because they meet those leadership expectations of ability, benevolence, and integrity for that organization. So for those of you that think that this stuff just comes out of nowhere, no, somebody's wearing that hat. And the effectiveness of that organization or that leadership function, even if that leadership is shared, is still dependent on those factors.
0: Another piece here is some other factors related to reputation. So we've already talked about that. We've also, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the 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 predisposition of the people whom are you're trying to get the trust of, right? So the, the followers in this situation. Some people are just more have a higher propensity to trust others than 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 other people. So that's kind of a um, you know, a personality characteristic, um, whether or not they, they really, you know, have prior history with you that can certainly matter. Uh, whether or not they see you as kind of a prototypical leader, some of those characteristics matter as well. So I think all of that to say, it's important to understand the people that you're trying to lead. You know, for example, if you have a really good prior history with some of the people on your team, they can be emissaries of your trustworthiness. And hopefully they are. Hopefully you've built that reputation with them over the years. Now, if you haven't, you know that's another problem altogether. Um, but that, those are some other characteristics you want to keep in mind. And additionally, um, having a, a a building a team that has a high level of uh, psychological safety—something we've talked about before on this podcast many times—is is certainly important. Aspects of culture and climate. All of these contribute.
1: To the degree to which people have trust in their leadership. Right. And if you get, if you're a good leader, very competent, know how to curate this, or agile leader that can curate this, and you've got a good team that just doesn't, you know, some people hate anybody. They don't care, right? (laughs) You know, those guys that have a personal journey to go on, but you get, you know, psychological safety, all that stuff going. The outcomes are always tremendous for the org, you know extra role behaviors, willingness to follow communication about what's really going on, all the things that you want performance, low turnover. You know, it's it's really awesome. But um, yeah. ben, let's so let's turn to some implications. So what do, what do individuals, leaders and orgs, what should they do with this information?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot here. I think, first of all, overall, understand that earning trust is central to leader effectiveness. If you don't have that in your team, you're going to have problems. And when the times are tough, um, as they might be, if half your people hate you, you're going to have more work to do. And you're going to have to start building that trust through performance by showing that you can deliver on commitments, boosting your abilities, uh, showing that you care about people, that benevolence piece, and about following up and kind of living your values through integrity. Um, So let's let's break this down even further by talking about some implications for people, leaders and organizations. So some of them for people, um, you know, first of all, it has to do with, you know, the amount that the subordinates see that that integrity, that value congruence in their leaders. Right. Um, And if if they say this is a person who really, you know, lives what they say they're they're about, that they care about things. Um, and they actually follow through on commitments, that will matter greatly. And that's something that you can
1: build up over time. Right. And so also flipping that around, if you're an individual in an organization that does not match your values, right? You, you got to get out of there. It's going to mm-hmm. be have hard to build any kind of trust. And actually, you're just going to hate life while while you're there. So find, if possible, an organization that meets your values. Now, I know You know, some people just live in a small town. Maybe they got an elder care issue and they're just stuck. So and we talk about that in other episodes in our podcast about how to deal with some of that emotional fallout. But find something that that has the values that you've got. Now, also be a person that trusts yourself. Sometimes in a toxic environment, you know, bad leadership, there's low trust. Just by being a trustworthy person and being willing to trust can shape what's going on around you. Um mm-hmm. don't just everybody's bad, everybody's awful, you know, at that point you've been institutionalized and you'll miss a lot of good in this life. So also yeah. be willing to trust yourself. And
0: I think a piece of that is give a new leader a chance. You know, if you're in an organization a damaged organization, in an organization that has a high level of toxicity, whatever that means, bad stuff going on, cynicism about leadership give them a chance, you know, uh, don't make snap judgments about the person. You know, I I think one piece of wisdom that somebody told me very early in my career as a Navy officer was, you know, we got, so we got a new captain on the ship and, uh, you know, I was talking about him with, uh, with another officer and this officer is way more experienced than I and And I said, yeah, Hey, new captain seems pretty, pretty cool and seems good. And, uh, this guy said, he said, you know, I like to give people three months before i really kind of you know make judgments and i mean such good advice right um so give people a chance either good or bad you know i have a propensity to to trust people generally right and now that has that burned me sometimes yeah, oh, yeah. sometimes it oh, has yeah. um has it has it proven to be uh, to work out well in in many circumstances yes i think kind of having that knowing that about yourself is important right so that you don't get taken advantage of um, but at the same
1: time, you give people a chance to succeed. Yeah. And there and there's some risk with this stuff. And the higher the risk sure. gets, the harder it is. You know, as an individual, just know that, hey, the bigger the risk, the more of those that leaders' individual characteristics are going to matter. And you can use that as a conversation. Hey, listen, you're the new boss. And I've only known you six weeks. This is a high risk piece. And I'm kind of a little bit worried about it because you're new. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you could start having that conversation around governance or maybe ways that you can phase in that kind of risks in there. Same thing with leaders. The higher the risk, you know, you need more trust to really have people go into the breach with you. Right.
0: Another implication for people is to be aware of. Your attribution style. Now, what is attribution? And what is attribution style? Well, it has to do with how you see causes and effects. So, for example, if a leader comes in and let's say they're they're relatively new and they're trying things and maybe something bad happens, a bad outcome. If you attribute that automatically to the leader, oh, look at that, you know, (laughs) leader screwed up, you're not giving that person really a fair chance, you know. Um, So there's going to be, it's going to be harder to, for that trust to really develop. Alternatively, you may have a more balanced view and say, hey, let's look, were there external factors involved here? Is this really this person's fault? Should I be genuinely concerned about their ability, integrity, or benevolence? Or, uh, you know, maybe there's something that just, just happened. Maybe I should give them a, a second chance. So be aware of your attribution style and, you know, Um, remember that just because a new leader has something bad happen on their watch doesn't necessarily mean that that person is a bad leader. (laughs) It it might. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always.
1: You know, I see this during election season a lot. The president is responsible for absolutely everything that does or does not happen. Gas prices.
0: Gas prices went up. Gas prices went down. The president,
1: The the president. And you're the like, the president turned, turned
0: the knob on gas prices and they they were just wanting to be mean, so they cranked it up.
1: Or and in the in the debates, they'll ask, mm, well, yeah. what are you going to do about X? And it's not in the enumerated powers of the president. And, <laughs> and people like to attribute that when it's hey, it's yeah. the numbskulls in the Congress or the Senate or something that are really the responsible. But it's harder to hate a cohort than it is to blame an individual. You know, but these are attribution errors. Sometimes, Ben, how many times in your military career have you gotten a bad order from above? Oh, this is bad policy, bad idea.
0: Uh, yeah, it's happened. <laughs> right? I, don't, I don't have an exact number. And, and but, yeah. if
1: it's lawful order, you got to execute, right? Mm-hmm. But if if your followers blame you, if they have an attribution style to blame their direct leader, then, you know, and think for yourself, individual, do I attribute People, you know, stuff to people that maybe they don't have complete control of. This is something that as for an individual, you need to do some self-leadership and make sure that your attribution style for cause and effect is balanced and not and not off the rails.
0: You know, I, I think that sometimes people as well as teams and maybe even whole organizations, they they fail not necessarily because they have bad leaders, but because they have made themselves so impossible to lead. Because they, and maybe it's because of some of the the bad things that have happened in the past. But I think at some point you have to start to break that cycle and and look at your attribution style, your propensity to trust as well. Um, You know, sometimes and, and think, something
1: that'll happen if you don't, as a competent leader will come in and sit down. It's like, listen, I've tried X, Y, and Z. It seems immovable. I am a competent leader, and you're either going to get with the program or you, there's the door. Right. And and you'll walk yourself out of what was a cush position that you could survive in (laughs) because you kept eating leaders for lunch, you numbskull. Assuming, (laughs) assuming that you have the,
0: the ability um, or the formal authority as the leader of that organization to actually get rid of people. You know, if you're, if you're running an academic organization or you're running a military (laughs) unit,
1: those don't 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 bring your, baggage into the podcast bed yeah no but i mean in in, in the military
0: government (laughs) academia,
1: it's very you
0: you gotta you gotta play with the team you got right um so another piece here is that sometimes people just have a a different model about what good leadership looks like so you know and, and this can be something that's fairly unconscious or maybe it is conscious but they think good leaders do x you know if i just said to our podcast listeners right now think about a great leader Okay, you're thinking about someone who's doing certain things, exhibiting certain characteristics. Maybe and they're even probably ha-
1: attractive and tall. <laughs> I, you know, I've had executives <laughs> say like, "Hey, it's no problem, man. I'm tall, so people just follow me."
0: Well, and, and well, there is some data
1: on that, right?
0: Yeah, no, there's a there's an entire area of literature, um, mainly out of sociology, um, looking at what we call status characteristics, and so things. No, you're you're actually kind of right. We're laughing here, but you know taller people and um, physically fit people. Like we attribute, it's like, oh yeah, great leader. Oh, well, maybe, <laughs> you know? So we we have these kind of um, interesting biases that can't, that aren't always helpful. And we have these things we call implicit leadership theories about how leadership works and so forth. Um, be careful as a person in that situation when you, if you have a new leader and maybe that they need to do some things that are different than your you, the way you think leaders need to operate. For example, maybe you have this idea leaders are decisive. They do they make decisions, they get things done quickly. Okay, well maybe the situation doesn't call for that. And so maybe this leader comes in and is, you know takes a while to make some decisions and gathers a lot of data first and consults with a bunch of people. That does not mean necessarily that that leader is ineffective. Give that person a chance. Don't let your own biases you know, torpedo that person's chances of success.
1: Yeah. And I always see those individuals. I love decisive leaders, people that decisively do what I think they should do. They, <laughs> they always, oh, they're always like, man, that guy decisively took us in a way, said that's the wrong direction. So now I hate him. Right. So, I mean, you can just see how that's just a, a, a mess. Yeah.
0: So let's pivot now and talk a little bit about some implications for leaders. This is a podcast episode for leaders in particular, um, with regard to this idea of building trust, dealing with those situations in which maybe half or more of the people there don't really like you. Maybe they even hate you. What are some things that leaders can do based upon the evidence, Chris Everett?
1: I, You know, they got to set a clear and compelling direction. And, you mm-hmm. know, we do this in our consulting engagements when it's a turnaround situation. You know, guys, we're not going to go down with the ship. The ship's going to heal and move in a healthy direction. I mean just out the gates being able to set. Now you got to have the competency to back that up. Yep. Right? But if you do and you got a good track record, trust and leadership will start to build. But nothing's worse than a sinking ship and somebody comes out with some milk toast, you know, vision. All right guys, we're just going to try our best here okay I'm like man we've been trying our best and we're we're going bankrupt come on
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so setting that clear compelling direction very important you know if you boil down leadership to two different big buckets two different food groups as you may say cuz you like food a lot um might be uh you're supposed to laugh at that laugh at my jokes you're like flick a i'm just probably. feeling
1: a little insecure about the COVID-19 that I gained. I might've gained it twice. <laughs> you got reinfected. Um,
0: so <laughs> if you had to boil down the, uh, you know, what leaders do, there's the initiating structure piece and the consideration piece. And initiating structure is about having that direction. So the Center for Creative Leadership, they do a lot of work and, you know, they've been doing this stuff for a while. And they, they oftentimes define leadership as being this um, combination of direction, alignment, and commitment. And I think there's some something there, right? Making sure people know, hey, here's where we're headed. Here's why we do what we do. And here's how we're going to get there. That is, that's important. It will, people will see that as an indicator of your ability. Um, I would give some thought to making sure you set a good direction,
1: but do that. It's helpful. Right. The next piece is leaders have got to set norms. There's got to be standards you know because mm-hmm. sometimes the group you know there's a vortex that keeps them in the old ways of being and you're going to need by setting that compelling visions you're you're starting your rocket engines and you need to escape terminal velocity uh, or <laughs> what the planetary gravity yes. yeah you got to have escape velocity to get out into orbit and one of the things that does that is norms these are the new norms of how we're going to be or do around here now if this is a enterprise organization where things are kind of going on. You just need to check the box for a little bit. You want to wait to introduce some of those new functional norms. Don't necessarily do it out the gates. Make sure you have trust with your followers. But those norms, when those are clearly expressed and understood, people can feel relaxed in their jobs because it's like, hey, listen, maybe I don't like these pieces, but I know I've got to do these pieces to feel secure in my job. And that's important.
0: That's great. So that's definitely something you want to do. You know, how are we going to, here's where we're going. Now, here's how we're going to behave in in order to to really get there. Um, You know, another piece of this is by, you know, making sure that you are selecting people who have good um, knowledge, skills, and abilities for different positions, making sure that you are creating teams that are working well, that you're dealing with poor performance on teams you know one way we can think about organizational culture or maybe climate to some degree is that you know what emerges in a in a group is kind of what you tolerate what you are willing to walk past and not say anything about well you know you need to start to set those norms as you mentioned but also make sure that you you know have leaders who have the right knowledge skills and abilities and you're creating
1: teams that really work yeah so and we should do a whole episode on this actually about team selection, criteria, performance Mm. management. But you—that that is one of those key abilities you have to have as a leader. If someone's underperforming and you tolerate it, it's a complete morale killer for the people that might do good work for you. So you you gotta manage that. And and here's another piece. If you're a leader, you need to develop skills in coaching people, Mm -hmm. right? And I can't tell you how many times where I've seen leaders fail because he's got these actually did build a competent team and they want some they not only want, but know that they need further development and that leader's not able to provide it. Right. And this is a good time. Coaching sessions should not be just, hey, man, you're not doing this right. It needs to be. Hey, let's take a look at what's going on here. OK, I want to get us here. And here's where you are. So let's develop a learning plan, those kinds of things. This is a place where you can build trust as a leader by showing that you're a good guy or gal, right? Mm-hmm. That, that you actually give a rip for the person that you're talking to. That it's not just a transactional. We're trying to get past this. All right, guys, listen, you do one, two, three, ABC. I'll do this and we'll both stay out of each other's hair. Well, that's <laughs> n- nobody likes working in that yeah. environment you need to care
0: for the, your people. One thing I think I like the most out of what you just said is that leaders need to develop skills in coaching. This is not a natural thing that most leaders are great at. They they may say they are. And let's let's face it, if you say that you're great at coaching other people and then you try to coach them and it doesn't go well, that's going to make your trust make trust in you go down because it's a demonstration of your incompetence and your inability to do it. But as you mentioned, if you have this uh, more um, collaborative approach towards coaching and say, hey, here, here's where um, what's going on in your world. Talk to me about what's going on. What are your ideas of where you want to take this position and then have offer your ideas and, and a plan for how to get there? That, that can be a much better way to go about it.
1: Now, um, a, you know, a key piece here. Let me add subject matter experts, SMEs. Sometimes you have somebody They're like the, I don't know, Python expert or Cisco server guy. Nobody in the world knows more about Cisco servers than that person. And they're on your team is, listen, man, you know, you're doing good. Everybody on the team likes you. There's nothing I could add to your. This is a place where you can still coach by saying, hey, there's some interpersonal stuff. I want you, Mm -hmm. my subject expert, to become an excellent coach and make more of you in the organization. Or, right. hey, what's a new technology stack here? And so just because you have a subject matter expert on your team that you're like, well, what do I say to this guy? You still need to say, hey, I need a performance improvement plan for you or not performance improvement plan, life skills improvement plan. You're still going to have to do some continuing education because we don't want to just get lazy on our laurels here. So you, there's still stuff you can do with those kind of guys.
0: Sure. Sure. You know, another piece that's very important, and we've mentioned this earlier, but is when appropriate, use some more consultative types of styles of leading. Uh, Allow people to have an impact on your decisions, value their opinions, ask for their opinions before you make a bunch of changes. That in and of itself can show that, hey, I don't just see these people as a bunch of numbers or names on a spreadsheet or on an org chart. I actually see them as living, breathing, thinking human beings who probably have something valuable to offer the organization. And maybe I should consider that that can be very important.
1: Yeah. So, and, and part of that is, you know, setting that tone to where you're a worthwhile coach or somebody that's even worth consulting with is holding yourself accountable, mm-hmm. right? If you're never late, if you expect your people to not be late and you're never late, it's good. You know, one of the things I used to worry about when I was a new Lieutenant Because it's really bad if you go on a mission as an army person or any person and don't have a key piece of gear, right? (laughs) There's tons of military um, studies where, oh, no, we don't have our our batteries for our night vision. We had everything, but we didn't bring fresh batteries. So now we're stuck here in a firefight at night and, and we're getting ate up by bullets, right? I used to pack all my stuff in the house and then I would go, Put in my rucksack, right? And then I'd walk down to my car. I'd pull everything out, lay it out, and go through as if I was a private in my platoon and then repack it because I was going to grind my guys. If a soldier showed up and did not have the appropriate equipment, that was a standard. Now, but that I had to set that accountability for myself first. And sometimes I'd lay my gear out for the guys. Hey, Let's see if Lieutenant Everett brought all his stuff. And then I do a layout, right? And it's like, guys, I'm doing it. I need you to do it. So you must be the trust and accountability and execution behaviors you want out of your team. It's the tone at the top. And as a leader, you set it.
0: A great way to blow a hole in any kind of trust that people have in you is by setting a bunch of expectations for them and then not living up to those expectations yourself. You have to be a role model here. Another piece that's very important is fairness. These perceptions of justice that we have within an organization and with people. Uh, you, know, you need to have, um, not only distribute things in a way that, that is reasonably fair, but also explain the processes that you use to make decisions when it's appropriate. That can also help people see how you're thinking and, and see how, you're, how the outcomes of your decisions you know, are what they are, but at least the process that you went through was fair. Treating people with dignity and respect, all of these go a long way in helping to build that trust that you really need on a team.
1: This comes back to what we call theory of the mind. And this actually drives a lot of conspiracy thinking because people are trying to sense what's going on. And when there's a bunch of feedback, they don't know. Right. And as a lead, that theory of the mind is, hey, I can kind of tell what you're thinking. Now, Ben, we've known each other for a long time. I can read your facial expressions like, oh, Ben's not happy with how the sales calls going or, you know, (laughs) whatever those kinds of things. Right. Um, We feel comfortable when we feel that we know what the other person's thinking or their emotional status. So one of the things you can do as a leader is allow people to see you take that. Mm. We're not playing poker here. Take down your cards, have open body language turn towards rather than away from somebody when they're talking to you maybe in the hall if they go to stop you know don't just look over your shoulder and say stuff when p and reveal your thinking verbally hey guys you know what i'm thinking right now i'm thinking this and here's why this allows people to develop a more accurate theory of the mind and they're gonna feel comfortable because they can tell like well ben doesn't have a scowl on his face you know so must be a good day or you know, when you come out of a meeting, don't have an ambiguous look. Yeah, you know, oh, that's a clutch meeting. Or is our project going to be approved? Allow people to read you, and and it just engenders all the goodness as a team culture that you could buy, really. Right.
0: I I recall one person also telling me, you know, hey, one thing leaders need to do is they they need to let people see them trip once in a while. You know, if you maintain this aura and this this. Perception of perfection, you know, with other people. um, First of all, it's not believable. Second of all, it then makes me question as a follower, like, well, why am I needed if this person just has it so wrapped up? And believe me, nobody does. Nobody's perfect. So I think, you know, talking about some of the maybe a mistake you made and how you're going to fix it. If you clearly make a mistake with communication or with any decision you made, you know, think about a way to address that with the team. It's not like they don't, they know you made a bad decision. Now it's up to you to own up to it, right? And this can be a key moment in which you can build or destroy trust. The last piece here for leaders is about reputation. And we talked about this already, but you know, you're know, you building your reputation as you move through life, as you move through your career. And this can help with um, a situation in which maybe half your people don't like you or half of them don't hate you. Um, having a good reputation is a, a good foundation to go into that situation. So you want to maintain that, you want to build it, and then you can use it. Now, if you have a bad reputation, you know, you've got to work extra hard to start to correct that.
1: Yeah, so now let's, let's talk about organization. So let's say you're a leader in an organization that has remit over lots of other leaders. Maybe you're in the um, learning and development portion. Maybe you run a leadership academy type thing within your org. Um, what can you do? So one of the things is you need to have these behaviors don't happen on accident, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to make sure that you have a way of assessing and checking in and developing these kinds of leadership behaviors. Don't set the leaders and your org up for failure by hoping that you just, you know, the lemming approach. Okay, a million lemmings tried to cross the river or whatever. Three of them got to the other side, but a million drowned Don't be the organization that sets people up for failure. You want to tee them up for success. And you also want to develop that leadership culture and capacity within your org. Right.
0: You know, another piece here is this idea of psychological safety. And, you know, we've talked about this many times on this podcast. But again, that's about the willingness of people to take interpersonal risks in a team, that they will be that person that says, you know, everybody's saying we should do X. I don't think X is a good idea. I think we should be doing Y. And that they're able to say that and not self-censor themselves uh, into being quiet when maybe they have an alternate opinion. You know, that that ability to and that willingness to dissent is very important. Um, and this is important for trust and leadership, right? Um, you know, this can, when you have a team that has a strong sense of psychological safety, this will increase that that positive relationship between having ability having integrity and benevolence and people trusting you right so if you you know if you have all three of those things you have the ability the benevolence and the integrity people are probably going to trust you to some degree but if you can also build a team in which people can take those interpersonal risks in which they trust each other then they're going to trust you even more so you know, the the presence of psychological safety can also potentially compensate for some of your own deficiencies. Right. Um, Because then people are are willing to to say things, willing to offer information, volunteer ideas that can help
1: you out. Right. And and that psychological safety goes in between leaders. So you have a bunch of directors on the same level. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. can check in with the, the leader coach within an org if you have one and say, hey, listen, you know, I think the new leader over here is struggling in these areas. We can help it out. Now, sometimes people have to formalize this process and it's called the 360 review because oh, the, and they lots of times they only do them Well, they either do them annualized, which can become rote, right? Mm-hmm. Or they do it. Oh, you're failing. Time to do a 360 review and see how and why <laughs> and maybe fix it. Guys, these guys, they don't have to walk the plank and get half eaten by sharks before you get. Help. If you have a psychologically safe cultural climate in that organization, even a follower can reach out to HR and say, hey, you know, I think he's struggling with how he's running meetings. Could maybe use some coaching. Other than that, he's fine. Cool. Somebody say like, hey, we're going to put you through a coaching module. No problem. You know, it's all safe. It's like I'm not the best leader ever in the world right out the gates. I want to become one. So, okay, so let's get you on that path, right? And and you can do that with your peers because, you know, well, if you want your stock price to go up and be, a, you know, make a lot of money and bonuses and all that kind of stuff, it's more than just look at me and how I perform as a leader or, hey, let's just get some key heroes. No, let's have a culture of leadership. It's psychologically safe to say stuff. Things don't have to derail before we kick off a 360, those kinds of
0: things. (laughs) And of course, all of those things uh, require a high level of trust. So I hope that we've kind of unpacked this well in this episode. Uh, We've talked about leadership when half of your people hate you. And we have talked about those situations in which leading other people is challenging. The central nature of trust and leadership and we've wrapped up with some implications for people, leaders, and organizations. And you know, the cool thing
1: here, Ben, is this stuff is good anyway. If, if your team likes you, do this stuff. It's funny. It's like, well, if you're already in shape, what should you do? You know, eat right, work out. You know, if you're not in shape, what should you do? You know, eat right, work out.
0: Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast.